look at something a little bit different here. Um, this is a little bit off the cuff, so please forgive me if I if my brain stalls a little bit. So we're taking a risk doing this, but let's have a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful uh, for the fact that we can come and talk to you at any time, anywhere, that you give us uh, access into your presence, not because we are worthy uh, of ourselves, but we are worthy in Christ. You have counted his worth and his character to us at your right hand. And in that way, you give us access to your presence so that we can come with needs, so we can remember our brother Aram as he's uh, uh, navigating um, the matters in between, trying to decide what to do and uh, the things before him. As we remember our sister Terry, and we're thankful that she's continuing to improve, but we also continue to pray for her and the family with regard to uh, her mom and uh, the time that remains and uh, the things that you have in store there and uh, for peace and for comfort uh, in those matters. For our brother Gary, as he also, and Leslie, as they are, uh, again, uh, dealing with, uh, with matters with regarding to his health and this infection. And, and in each one of these, it's that we, we ask for mercy. Uh, we ask for mercy for uh, each one of them and that they would find uh, your grace truly to be enough as they face these challenges. And we uh, thank you for that. Uh, thank you that it is enough. And uh, sometimes it's hard for us to feel that way when we're in the moment. And it becomes very, can be very overwhelming. And yet you bring us back again and again to the fact that you're the one that actually cares and is in charge of our lives. And we would thank you for that. Amen. We're going to start this morning in the book of James in chapter 1. This is Leslie's fault. No, it is not. It's not. But she made this comment about, and she made this comment the other day and then repeated it here this morning, that there's been a lot, there's been a lot of people dealing with various issues uh, in our assembly. James, or James, Jim, <laughs> I appreciate, gets up here and uh, shares the word with us this morning. And he filled in for me a couple weeks ago and such. And I appreciate uh, his doing that. And maybe he's re explained some things, but he's been dealing with his own set of health issues that are, um, I'm going to describe them a nuisance. And Jim might say, well, they're a little bit more than a nuisance to him. They're making things uncomfortable. He's willing to serve in the best of his ability. And so uh, there's a number of people and individuals that are facing challenges and um, challenges, we can look at challenges, and I don't know if you're, if you're like me, but I think the average person, most of us, when we face things that are hard, whether it's a health problem or some challenge with regard to our job or our family or other situations that we face, uh, it's easy for us to throw up our hands and we say, oh my goodness. Or, you know, if we cuss, if we cuss, we say, oh my God. You know that's cussing, right? Because you're taking the Lord's name in vain. You're actually, you're actually not, you're not really crying out to God in those situations like that. And, uh, and this is the way people respond. This is the way people respond frequently to these problems. And here in James chapter 1, James says in verse 2, consider it all joy. And that word to consider means you need to lead your mind to look at when you come into various kinds of temptations. You need to lead your mind. It's not your natural inclination to throw your arms up and go, ah, oh, that's the natural inclination of man. When you face hardship, there are those odd people, those oddballs that you throw a challenge at them, you throw a difficulty and they're like, oh, I'm ready to take this one on. There are those people. But I'd say most of the population were the kind of people that throw our arms up when we have what a problem we're going Maybe, and maybe we don't do it that dramatically. Maybe we're just inside, we're shaking our head going, huh, here's another one, here's another one. Uh. But he says, no, you can lead your mind to consider it joy when you face challenges, when you face temptations. And remember, a temptation is a solicitation to evil. It's, it's, their temp it's them putting you to the test to try to get you to respond inappropriately. There's another test that wants to see what's appropriate in a thing. And so he says, you need to lead your mind to think about this, knowing that the, now he switches from the word temptation to the word, the positive word for test to see a good thing, 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, if you have a modern translation. If you've got an old translation, it's the word they translate it patience. And let patience or endurance have its perfect result or perfect work. We've talked about this, this idea before in the past. That word perfect, we can look at it and go, oh, it's a perfect work. Oh, that's just perfect. It's like looking at a painting that somebody's done and they've done really good work. I did a little painting for my sister as a thank you card. And I thought, oh, it looks okay. Then I put it in the mail. And then my sister foolishly put it up on the internet the other day. And I looked at it going, oh, oh, man, that just looked horrible. You know, because I could see this was out of whack here. But we're talking about somebody that really is a good painter. And you come up and you're like, oh, man, that's just it's perfect. That's not what this word is. <laughs> All that to say. This word is talking about it's maturing. It's complete. It's coming to be what it wants. In other words, he says, patience has a maturing word. Do you want to grow up or do you want to be a little kid all your life? Did somebody say they want to be a little kid? You want to be a little kid all your life? No, you don't want to be. Because you know what? As long as you're a kid, somebody else has to tell you what to do all the time, right? Your mom and dad have to tell you to do. Your teachers have to tell you what to do. Your coaches have to tell you what to do. Wait a second. The government still tells me what to do. <laughs> yeah, but, but when you're growing up, you don't, you're, reducing the, you're reducing the number of people that are telling you what to do. Uh, and, I, and I was thinking about this when I was thinking about maturity. Um, oh, it was earlier this morning something came up that was thinking about this. I don't know if any of you ever felt like this, but when I was a kid, I thought, I can't wait till I'm an adult and I don't have to go to bed at 9. I can stay up till 10.30 or 11. And then you become an adult and you realize, wait a second, I got to be out of bed at 6 in the morning. <laughs> I can't stay up till 10 or 11. I need to go to bed at maybe 9 or 9.30, you know. But, so as you, but as you mature, you become more responsible. When you're a foolish college student, you run off. Mom and dad aren't there to tell you what to do anymore. And you do stay up really late. And then you got to try to drag yourself out of bed in the morning to go off to class with your eyes barely open at 8 o'clock, you know. And... Uh, so maturity brings with it some realization that there are certain responsibilities you have. So there's a maturing process. You're not only not under the authority of certain people, but you also recognize there are certain things you can and cannot do or certain things that it's better to do it this way. And he says patience brings that. Patience is that maturing process. So let patience have its maturing work that you may be mature and complete or whole, lacking in nothing. We all want to mature. We all want to grow up. But growing up involves the fact that we're going to have to endure some things. You're going to have to handle some things. A person wants to graduate from high school, they're going to have to realize they're going to have to learn to read. They're going to have to learn how to write something down in a, in a consistent manner. They're going to have to learn that they have to be able to add and subtract and do some, some basic math. I mean, there's some things that they're going to learn that they have to do. Why? Because we say, if you're an adult out there in the world, we want you to be able to actually read if you have a job, to know what you're supposed to do, to know how to relate to that, and how to, and I always told kids this when I, when I uh, it, it taught or explained math. I remember Mr. Nussbaum, who's long since uh, moved on to another school, but when I used to fill in for him and he used to have the consumer math class, I was like, if you don't know how to do math, how do you know that your employer paid you right when you get your check? Well, they wouldn't make a mistake. I said, no, it wouldn't be the first time in the world that people have made mistakes or that sometimes people intentionally cheat. And I said, there's all kinds of things like that in the world. So there's this maturing process where we want you to have some skills, a skill set, you know, when we're going to turn you loose into the world. And that's part of what he's getting at here is that by going through hardship, is it hard to learn to read? For some people, it is harder than others. But for everybody, it's a challenge. And to learn to write or think or respond in a coherent manner or to actually be able to how to do math and relate to things in the world, that takes work. But there's a payoff. And that's true with all kinds of things. It's true, true with all kinds of things, trying to learn other skill sets out there in the world. And, but it takes some hardship in the process. It takes a challenge uh, in there. And so you can look at this thing that a teacher puts a test in front of you when you're in school, and you can look at, I hate tests. 
you know what? I'm just to be honest. As a kid, I always liked tests because I always liked to see what do I know. Ever since it was like a challenge, it was like a contest to me. Okay, and I found there's other people that are like that. It's it's interesting to find out what you know. But that test, you can look at that and go, oh, it's a test. Ah, hate test. But you also can look at it and go, it's a proving ground. It's a proving ground to find out what you know how you understand, how you can relate to things. And he's saying here in James, when you go through temptation, when you're going through hardships out there, and those hardships become the basis of a temptation. So you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you've got this problem here. And you're going, you could respond and go, oh, yuck, I don't want that problem. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want whatever fill-in-the-blank responses need to go. See, that problem can become the basis of a temptation where you can become angry, you can become frustrated, you can become down and depressed. I mean, there's just a whole realm of ways that you can respond inappropriately to a diagnosis. Problem on your job, a challenge on the job where they're saying, hey, guess what? We're going to downsize. And you're thinking, oh, I'm going to lose my job. So you're going to be doing twice as much work. <laughs> what? I can barely keep my head above water right now. And you could look at it and you could say, hey, it's an opportunity to grow, opportunity to mature. And so there's all kinds of things like that we realize in the world, but those things can become, those real world situations can become a foundation for our maturing spiritually as we learn to depend on God. And he's going to say, by the way, in verse 5 is important, it says, if any of you lack, then wisdom. So you've learned some things. If you've sat under the teaching of God's Word and you've spent time reading or studying the Bible yourself, you've learned some things from the Word of God. And God does not want us to take this stuff in and just mentally gain a bunch of knowledge up here that's just resting in our reservoir so that we can pass tests on paper. He wants us to be able to, shall we say, pass the test in life. He wants us to be able to pass the test of life by actually learning how to respond to the different challenges we face in life. So with that knowledge, he says, if you lack wisdom, like, okay, I've learned this stuff. Now I'm facing this challenge. What do I use, God? I need to know God. And this is what he says. Let him ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproach. You know what reproach is? I, I really dislike people that do this, teachers that are like this. You don't know that? You foolish child, you idiot, you, that, that, that's not a good teaching technique. Making fun of, mocking, deriding a person is a poor teaching technique. And so he says, God does not do that. When we come to God and ask for wisdom, God does not chide us. God does not smack us on the back of the head and go, haven't you been paying attention for the last 57 years of your life? What's the matter with you? He doesn't do that, and it will be given to him. So if you, you've got this knowledge that you've learned sitting, sitting under Bible teaching and studying the Bible and things like this, you have amassed this knowledge. Now you're in a situation where there's a challenge, an opportunity to put it into practice. And James says, lead your mind to count it joy because this challenge can become a basis of your maturing or actually seeing something good come about. And if you don't exactly know how to face that challenge, you come to God and say, God, I need to know how to use what you've taught me to be able to face this in a way that's going to honor you. You can ask. Ask God. I have, I'll illustrate this negatively with myself, I have, had, I have tackled different challenges around my house over the years. More of those things I know how to do better but early on, there were some of those, and my wife was saying, I, she goes, how's it going? And I'm like, <laughs> she goes, go ask Dwight. Go ask Dwight. And I'm like, I don't want to ask Dwight. She goes, why not? Because Dwight will be nice, but the guy's probably going to be thinking, this guy is a cry for help. <laughs> because there are some times, if he's going to show up and look at what I'm trying to do, he's going to be thinking, what in the world was he trying to accomplish? This is not the way you go about this thing. Dwight's never done that to me. He's never made me feel stupid. That's all in my head when we're doing that. It is a wise thing to go to God and ask for help, not to sit there and think, I can figure it out. I can tough it out. That is foolish. It was wise on my part to encourage me to exercise some wisdom 
and asked Dwight to come along and bring his expertise into my situation. He goes, well, you need to do this and this, and we need to, and no, you don't want to use that. We need to run to Moses Lake and find this right part to do this thing here. Or I think maybe I have one in my, my, my garage. We'll go look. And that's wisdom, using wisdom from God. This is wisdom from God with regard to our circumstances facing temptation. Maturing. On another side, let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And I know that there are many of us that are, we are very familiar with this, with this passage, but it says in Romans chapter 5, and uh, let's just go back up to verse 1. Therefore, having been declared righteous by faith, we have peace facing God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained access by faith, and I would say because of the grace in which we stand, because we're in this grace, we have access by faith in which we stand, and we and we have this word uh, in uh, the New American Standard that's translated exult with a U, not an A, not exult, but exult, but it's actually just the word boast. I'm not exactly for sure why they went with such a uh, kind of archaic term. It's just we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. What's that mean? That God has something planned for us. God's going to demonstrate something through us. He's going to allow us to go through something, and that is we can we can turn to that, and, and we can demonstrate the character or the work of God in our lives. And so, so we boast in that. Not only this, but we even boast then in our tribulations, which again, you all go to church, so when you come to the word tribulations, it's like, okay, I get this. But, you know, I bet if you went and grabbed the average person on the street that speaks English really well and you say, tell me what tribulations are, some of them would go, what? Is that even a word? <laughs> or maybe I heard that one time, but I'm not for sure. But it's simply the word troubles. It's, it's a word for negative pressure is the term, but it was used kind of generally for troubles. He says, we even boast in our troubles. Are you kidding me? We boasted troubles? Yes. Why? Knowing that troubles produce, there's that word perseverance or endurance or patience again. You want to have patience? You ever heard that expression? God, give me patience. Give it to me right now. You ever heard anybody say that as a joke? You, how do you know how you get to patience? You have to go through something hard. You don't need patience when everything's easy. You need patience when you're facing challenges. Because that's when you hold up under this pressure, because that's what the word, the word means to be at ease under something. There's another word to hold up, but you're remaining under this pressure. And you are maintaining the character. You're being at ease. So you're so rather than going, ah, you're at ease. It's hupomane, mane meaning to be at ease under this. Not groaning under it, going, oh, this is no fair. This I don't like this able to be at ease under that pressure. And he says that, he says, that pressure gives you this opportunity to be patient. How many of you have to be patient because somebody serves you really good food? They give you really good dessert. And you got a comfortable seat to sit at while you eat it. And everything's clean around you. And they even allowed you to go wash up before you ate. And everything's just pleasant. You don't need patience in there. I don't know if any of you have ever been in this situation many, many, many years ago before we ever moved to Royal City. No, it actually was after we moved to Royal City. I was doing some work for some, for some people, and I went out into the country to work on a deck for them. And I was working and working, this is pre-cell phone days, and I'm out there, and I, my wife will tell you, I'm this person that gets obsessed that once I get started on a thing, I don't like to stop until I get it done, even though the clock says it is noon, and I am trembling, and my stomach is really hungry, and I'm thinking, I need to eat, but I'm like, two more hours, and this will be done, and I don't want to drive all the way back into town, and all of a sudden, the lady where I'm working comes out, and she goes, would you like lunch? Well, I've had other people do that. Marge Bryan, some of you know the Bryans out here. Marge, I worked for them a couple of different times doing different projects, three or four times I did stuff. And Marge Bryan said, come on and have lunch with us. And we'd sit down at the table and we'd visit and always had a good lunch and such like that. This, this lady, she went in and she pulled out a couple of hot dogs and threw them on a plate and had some potato chips. I'm not complaining about hot dogs and potato chips. I like those too. 
but the kitchen was dirty, the stove was dirty, the table was dirty. I was not at all comfortable in there. I wanted to go wash my hands. I went, I went to the kitchen sink and decided to wash in there. I didn't even want to go check out the bathroom. Anybody ever been in a situation like that? I thought it was very nice of her to offer me food. Don't get me wrong. But nothing made me at ease in that situation. Nothing put me at ease in that situation. So you sometimes you can go through that. So you don't need patience when everything's fine. You need patience when something's off, when things aren't quite the way they are, when you're sitting at a table and you're thinking, I hope that this silverware that she gave me, maybe I'll just pick up the hot dog with my hand and eat it like this. Anyway, I'm sorry. I hope that didn't gross you out, that illustration. Um, but, Paul, but Paul is saying here, you know, we boast in our adversity or pressure or troubles knowing that pressure produces then patience. And patience then produces proven character. How do you know what kind of character you've got until you go through something difficult? You have to face a difficult challenge. And I always think, like, when I, when I was growing up in high school, believe it or not, with these little wimpy arms, I used to lift weights in high school. And, you know, if, if, if you just always stayed with that 50 pounds on the barbell, and that's all you ever did, well, you're going to get pretty good at lifting the 50 pounds, but you're not going to progress beyond that a whole lot. You have to push that on there. Pretty soon you get to that weight and you're like, oh, I can do this, I can do this. And you do the different things and you all know what that's like, that there's a challenge. But eventually when you do that, and in our weightlifting team, you had t-shirts for, you know, the weight. You make this, this goal and you get the 200-pound weight and you get the 250 weight and you get the 300-pound weight. And you, that was a big deal. This mark, you walk around school thinking the girls are impressed. Look at the shirt I've got. The girls really did not care one iota. They were all like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but you thought it was a big deal. But that, that, that thing in there, that was like a, a sign of proven character. I found out I actually could do this. You could actually lift this thing. You could do this. You could be under this pressure and lift this. And so he says, patience produces proven character, and proven, pro, proven character produces hope. So going back to the weightlifting thing, you make one goal, it produces hope that guess what? I can lift a harder goal. If I keep working at this, I can move up five pounds. I can move up 10 pounds. And likewise, God has brought me through this challenge. I can face this challenge. God can take me through the next challenge that comes my way. It's not like God says, oh, you passed that challenge. Okay, challenges are finished, done. The rest of your life, just grab some lemonade, find a chase lounge, sit in the shade. This is the way to look. No. Your life, till your last breath, is going to consist of a series of challenges that you're going to be facing. And some of you are going to find out that there are challenges you faced at one time in your life, and you were like, oh, this seems insurmountable. You see, God brings you through it. You learn how to depend on God. And you're going to, down the road, find a challenge going, I'm glad God grew me, because I wouldn't have been able to face this challenge. Ronnie. Um, when I was five years younger, um, I don't know if I was happy to be but um, I was always afraid of being It could be a different challenge. It could be harder. And we're going to, we'll touch on that one next. And by the way, then he noticed what he says in verse five and hope then that hope does not disappoint, does not leave us ashamed because the love of God has been gushed forth in our hearts through his Holy Spirit who's given to us. In other words, the Holy Spirit in there is guaranteeing that God's going to give you the ability. He's going to carry this through for you to grow and mature. Now, in answer to Ronnie's question here, we're going over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. A verse that I would, I, I, I think sometimes when we come to this statement over here, I think when we read these, um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, when we come to this statement sometimes, I think we do not understand what Paul says. And I, I read people that sometimes misrepresent uh, what Paul's getting at. He just went through, and we did this a couple of weeks ago, we went through a list 
of warnings from Israel's past where Paul says, learn from them. There were consequences that those people suffered. You and I may or may not suffer those kind of consequences because we are living under a system of grace. But that does not mean that we don't still need to learn that those, some of those things do not work and that they're not appropriate. And that brings him down then to verse 12 where he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed or pay attention or look lest he falls. If, a person, if you just go through life with your hands in your pockets going, I got this, man. I got this. This is, oh, you're just kind of going through like this. And you're standing around and you're not paying attention in the Christian life. You get lazy. Does anybody ever here want to say that sometimes things hit you from the side? You don't see them coming because you've gotten spiritually lazy. Everything seems to be going well. And you kind of, it's like you're on vacation. Everything should be fine when I'm on vacation. Boom. And all of a sudden, vacation, God. Didn't, didn't, don't I get a, a vacation from temptation while I'm on vacation? No, no. There is no such thing as a vacation from these. So notice what he says in verse 13, however. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man or literally as is human. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Well, technically, I'm not able for any temptation. Well, if we understand in light of what we've been looking at, God, if we depend on God, God, God will take, take us through that. So in answer to Ronnie's question, and this passage really helps with that, that when you've gone through a small thing, what seems like a small thing, you've learned how to depend on God in that process, and you've seen God take you through that. So now when something harder comes along, God knows that you know how to depend upon him to take you through that. You understand? Satan comes and attacks you. He, God shows you how to think about the different things that God is doing, the things that God has given you, and you're coming, really you're coming back to going, this is all God. When you're facing Satan, I, I, I'm saying this because this has been real for me, because about two weeks ago, I had to put on the armor of God a couple of different times. I, I was having, in fact, it was last Sunday afternoon driving down to see uh, Emily and Peggy uh, after church. Um, I, I was just, I, I don't know if it showed during Sunday morning, but I had been struggling with things for a while, and it just kind of came to a head as I was heading down there driving, and I was just, oh, I just was really frustrated and just so, so, I think anger was building up a little bit out of my frustration in there. And I knew what it was. I knew it was a satanic attack. That's where it had its origin. It was kind of working out through my sin nature. So I had to walk through that armor. And you know what the first part of the armor is? It's truth. You need to go look at this. You can go over to Ephesians chapter 6 and look at this. But the first part is truth. You've got to see it for what it is. If you don't want to acknowledge, if you don't want to acknowledge what the problem is, for me, that problem was pride. That's what I was having. I was having a pride issue. Uh, in that context. Let's put it this way. And I'll tell you kind of how it came to a head last week. I'd study. I had the, the study we went over last week. I had that done before we went on vacation to Iowa. Oh, I'm done with that. I've got that on the computer. I'll come back. I'll kind of review a little bit before I teach it. We'll get up there. And you guys may not have noticed it. You may not have felt it last week, but I felt like I tanked. I just felt like going through that. It's just like, yeah, we looked through the scriptures, but I like, I hope somebody got something out of that because I'm telling you, I did not handle that very well, the way I was going through that. And I was just like, why? Why? Uh, and you know what it comes down to? There's a pride thing. I got that. I got that. I've learned that thing. I've studied that out. That outline's been done for a month. I'm good. Instead of going, you know what? I don't care if I had an outline. I don't care if I've had an outline that I've taught from 10 times. And I've had that. I've got outlines that I've basically taught off that outline 10 times because the truth doesn't change. And so I might teach 10 times and you, you come to the 11th time and you're like, I got this. I got this. And you don't really come into it depending upon God, which is really a shame because I was sitting down here appreciating what Josh was going through on our position in Christ when he was introducing some things out of Galatians. And I was appreciating it at the same time I'm appreciating it. I'm kind of having a little bit of a guilty conscience because I'm realizing how I'm kind of doing that same thing in my Christian life at that moment by just kind of trying to do it by my effort, by my own efforts. And I was so upset. I was so upset. These things had kind of culminated and it came and I realized it was a pride problem. 
See the first part of the armor? First part of the armor? Truth. You got to look at it. And I realized I was proud. I didn't think I should, I didn't think I should have to work at this. By the way, as an aside, I remember my, the Wednesday night before I started seminary, I went to Bible study. Two weeks before seminary, it was. Wednesday night, I went to Bible study at the Seibel House. And uh, we were over there, and um, <clears throat> I don't remember who was teaching class or teaching the Bible study that night, but Laverne Schaefer, who I ended up having for theology, was he was there at the study. And he goes, well, seminary starts in two weeks. You're probably pretty excited. And I said, yeah. He says, right. he says it'll be really good. You'll really enjoy it. You'll really benefit. It'll be a lot of work. And, I, and uh, he says, we all have to work hard. And I said, yeah, but you've been teaching this stuff for a lot of years. I said, I'm sure that you've got this down. Oh, no, I have to go back and I have to work through this stuff every time because I got to make sure that I understand it so I'm communicating God's word properly. Okay. I did not appreciate what he meant by that. I appreciate it. I have come to appreciate that. And I did not put that into practice last week because of pride. I got this. I got this. And I didn't have it. So whatever you might have felt about last week, in my mind, I did not communicate this. So you start with, with truth. And then the second thing is righteousness. See, truth is important because, you know, God always sees things as they are, don't they? God's never fooled. You can't come to God. Oh, God, I got this. And God's going, really? Really? I see this as it is. You're kind of coasting on this one. <laughs> yeah, you worked hard on that thing and that thing. But on this thing over here, where you're going to be feeding those sheep, you're kind of coasting. So, second part, righteousness. My righteousness that I have is only what I have in Christ. It's the only kind of righteousness that counts for anything. I can do all kinds of righteous things that will impress the world, but the only righteousness that counts is the righteousness I have in Christ. The next part, my feet shod with the preparation. My feet shod, you can't see what I'm doing. My feet shod. We don't use that word. I put shoes on my feet. There we go. That's modern English. I put shoes on my feet, ready to share the good news of peace. What's the good news of peace? It's the fact that Jesus Christ alone is our peace between believers. You get two believers that are doing this, I can guarantee you one thing they're not doing. They are not thinking about who they are seated at the Father's right hand together. Because if they would be doing that, they'd have a foundation for peace there. They could actually practice that peace because Christ is our peace at the Father's right hand. The next part, the shield of the faith. The faith are the collection of promises that God's made to us that make up our Christian life. And we can take up that shield and say, he has made promises sufficient for every aspect of my life. As, as Peter says over in 2 Peter, he's given us how many things for life and godliness? All things for life and godliness. He has not asked you to do one thing that he has not equipped you for. And some Christians, I don't think, believe that. But we need to believe that he has equipped us with all things for life and godliness. And then the shield, or the, excuse me, the helmet of salvation. In the same book of Ephesians, where does he say is, from God's point of view, is the source of our salvation in God's attitude? Famous, famous verse we use out of Ephesians. For by grace you are saved. You know, one of the things that, especially like a pride issue, I think, that happens with us as believers, is we forget, you know, if I have anything to show for anything at all in my Christian life, it's because of God's grace. It's because of his grace to me. And so you start thinking about, what do I have in my salvation? I have eternal life. Man, you think about that? I am a clay pot down here. That was one of the things we would have looked at on our outline today. We'll save that for next week, perhaps. But one of the things, we're clay pots. This is one of the reasons we got problems. <laughs> this is the why we're clanking around down here in these clay pots, and we've got issues, and things don't work well, and we have to go to the doctor, and the doctor has to fix stuff. And eventually, these clay pots break down, and... They're gone. They're clay pots. And in these clay pots, he's given us eternal life. So that rather than just looking at the clay pot, you get to, this is 2 Corinthians 4, we get to see the glory of God being lived out through clay pots, through us. Part of our salvation. Part of our salvation. 
that we're also in Christ, which leads right into the very next thing, the last thing he says, the sword of the Spirit, which are the utterances, the rhema, not the logos, the rhema of God. What is that? God says, how many good things about us in Christ? All good things. There's another one. All good things. You go back through that. God sees things accurately as truth. God is my righteousness. Christ is my righteousness. It's God's kind of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21. We've been made God's kind of righteousness in Christ. The, the, the gospel of peace, it's not about me particularly. It's about the fact that Christ is our peace. Christ is our peace. The shield of the faith is that God backs those promises. I don't back those promises. Those promises don't depend on me. They depend on God. He's the one that stands behind them. This salvation, the helmet of salvation, who's the one that is the origin of salvation? God. He planned it. He put it together. He's given it to us. And who says the good things about us? God. Do you see what, I'm what we're trying to get at? Every aspect of that armor of God goes back to who is God and what's he doing in our life. And so when we're here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and he tells us here, that no temptation has taken you, but such as common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. If you don't know anything about the armor, and you don't know anything about what God has given you in your salvation, God doesn't let you face that temptation. But when you have learned how to depend on God, and when you deal with Satan, how do you depend on God? By being strong in the Lord. You don't do it with your own strength. You need, he gives you the mental strength, and you go through, and you put on that armor of God, and it all goes back to focusing on who he is. And when you do that, you've really allowed him to cause you to stand. I think I used that, I think that that was Wednesday night, we used that illustration about a football team. Remember I told you nobody ever let me catch the ball, except in practice. Everybody had to do practice catching the ball at one time or another. I don't know why they wasted their time on us, but with me anyway. But uh, I, I was a lineman. Yeah, this this guy, 135 pounds standing across. I remember playing lineman across guys that were over 200 pounds. And they're just like, and when you when when you had a running play, that's fine. You get a blast off the you get a blast off the line. And you did. We were running a passing game one night against Riceville, and there was this guy. I bet he was probably all of 250 pounds. I'm 135. And when we you when when you run passing plays for those of you who know football, that means the offensive line does not get to cross the line of scrimmage. When they call the snap, you have to stand your ground there. You cross the line of scrimmage. That's it. That's a penalty on your team. You, you don't get to do that. Play's done. You have to stand on this side and stay there, and those guys are coming across, and you've got to stand against them when they come across at you. That's a good illustration. I think in my mind, if, you if, if the football image is bad for you, I apologize. But I think that's a good image because Satan is the one that's bringing the onslaught against you. And your ground is not to grab the sword and go running off after him. Ah, those, you know, those dramatic things you see for movie posters where you see the hero flying in the air with a sword like this and the shield and he's going to come down. On. That's not what you're doing. You are standing here and you are standing your ground against his onslaught. You are not attacking him. He's attacking you and you are standing and resisting. Yes. He uses sports images. He does. Yeah. Yeah, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood in this very context here. Yeah, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Wrestling would be a little bit different because wrestling, you do kind of go after him, don't you? Uh, and things like that. Those of you that are wrestlers here. I was just talking to Aram. He's excited for wrestling starting here. And I think Clinton said the same thing to me this morning. Anyway, all of that to say is that when you when you go through a temptation, we're going to kind of remember Ronnie's question, is that God measures you. He knows how much you've learned to depend upon him. And he's able to say that temptation comes and he's going, they can't handle that. They can't handle that. But then when you've learned to depend on him, then he lets that temptation, maybe now he lets the temptation become a little greater. Because you've learned how to, you've learned how to rely on me. Can I use you as an illustration, Emily, from college? I remember when she finished nursing school. <laughs> I asked her, hey, you finished nursing school. And I don't remember. This is within a month or two of finishing it. I don't know if she'd finished taking her NCLEX yet or not like that. Um, 
But uh, I asked her, I said, so what do you think was the best part of, that you learned out of nursing school? And she really surprised me. She said, you know what? She goes, I learned to live the Christian life. She spent, we spent time on the phone, didn't we? And sometimes people are going to have to do that because sometimes you're going to face a challenge. And she was facing challenges and stuff with school like this. And, uh, but in that, as she said, she learned to practice these things in the Christian life. We walked through the armor of God several times. And in the process, when you do that, you know, your first time going through this. So I'm just using her as an example that, see, what was her challenge? It was facing some challenges at college. In, well, the nursing program, technically. College was not a challenge, right? It was the nursing program. It was a challenge, you know. But see, something like that, you might, that can be a challenge? Yeah, that can be a challenge. It becomes a spiritual conflict, a spiritual battle. And you can learn to stand and resist those things, to deal with Satan in those cases. You also got a sin nature. And God teaches you how to rely on him. And Josh went over this with us last week. We've done this many times. How do you do with sin nature? You play possum. Well, that's not really what you do. But, but essentially, you're dead. You're saying, I'm dead to this. I'm dead to the sin nature. And how does, it, how does a dead man respond? Doesn't. He doesn't. A dead man does not respond. Okay? So I'm dead to the sin nature. But, does it stop there? But I'm living to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.11. So as he says that he does not allow you to be tempted, you need to know that in this maturing process, if you're going through challenges in your Christian life, you're facing those. Maybe it's your own health. Maybe it's the health of a loved one. Maybe it's a job challenge. Maybe it's a family challenge. Maybe it's just a general life challenge. <laughs> There's a lot of things you need to remember in there. God has measured you. He knows what you how that you've learned to rely on him to this point and he's not going to allow you now to be tempted with something over here that's like they don't know how to depend on me through this no they he he looks at us and he says they've learned how to depend on me they can face this challenge they know how to put on the armor they know how to deal with the sin nature they know how to say wait a second that's the world it's satan's system i don't need to have anything to do with that and all of this is very, very important for the growing process. There's not a one of us here that wants to say, hmm, I want to be immature the rest of my life. I want to be a baby. I'm, you know, guys are going to go, I want to, get, I want to get married. I want to have a wife so that she can mix up my bottle of formula every night and stick it in my mouth so I can, no, we don't want that. You want to grow beyond drinking out of a baby bottle. Well, I actually, I doubt very much that the babies really are thinking that way, but, you know, you force them to eat food out of a spoon. Although both of our kids and now our grandkids, when they actually went to spoon feed them, it's like you'd never been messing around with them. I still remember putting Katie in the high chair. It was Thanksgiving night. We came home. She'd been watching people eat. So we decided to feed her when we got home from my aunt and uncle's from Thanksgiving. We put her in the high chair, do this. Peg mixed that up. I got to be the, the first one to feed. Peg's taking the camera, and I go to take the first spoonful. I don't know how in this way this kid knew what was coming, but I just lifted up. I didn't even hardly move towards her, and she goes, <laughs> like, put it in here, right here, right here. <laughs> We've got some good pictures of that kid with her mouth wide open, ready to eat, see? So even there in this little, she's a little over five months old, five and a half months at that time, somewhere in that brain, she was like, I'm ready for something. I'm, I'm ready for this. Whatever you guys are doing, I want to do that. But that's, see, that's part of this maturing process because we don't want to grow up drinking, having to be drinking out of a baby bottle. We don't even want to be drinking, right, eating rice cereal. You know, that's not what we want. My wife was gone this last week. I actually made up a couple ribeye steaks for myself, cut them in half and ate some. Oh, that was really good. See, but you don't give that to a baby. Although I did watch my cousin... My, da my daughter showed me a picture my cousin took of his, his son, who's two months older than Isaac, and he's actually got a little piece of steak, and he's sucking away on this thing, takes it down. Mm, that's good. I'm going to suck on steak some more. Anyway, so I guess even a seven-month-old can appreciate sucking on steak, even if they can't eat it. Okay, sorry. That, that was totally chasing a rabbit. 
And Ben just sent me a cartoon about that last week. So anyway, this is part of the maturing process. We want to mature. We want to grow. If you want to grow as a believer, you just need to know you're going to face challenges. You're going to face temptations. And you're going to learn to grow. And you are going to mature. And God ultimately is going to do this. And I want to close then in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We could spend a lot, lot more time on this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's put in at verse 12. Paul's making his request, what he wants. And he says, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love towards one another. In other words, I don't want you to become more distant. And I think those were some of the things that were shared when we were talking about people going through difficulties. It's not caused us to become more distant from each other, but closer. Because isn't that what love involves? Being more involved in, in other people's lives? You don't love from a distance. You love up here. You love close. Well, generally, sometimes you don't have an option. I can't, I can't be with Josh and Faye, so I kind of have to love them from a distance. But generally... When he says love one another, he's talking about the love you do this. And for all, just as we for you, that he might establish or make you stand firm, make your heart stand firm, unblameable, and whole in holiness before God our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. And I believe that that coming is when we actually arrive before the Father at the other end of the rapture. So when he presents us before the Father, we're everything God had planned for us to be. He finishes the process, but in between, he's growing us, and he's growing us, and he's growing us. He's maturing. He's giving us those options. And, and just, just to let you know, he doesn't let you opt out. Some Christians are like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through those hard things, so I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to coast through the rest of my Christian life. He doesn't let you do that. He's too good of a father to sit back and go, fine, you can just coast through the rest of your Christian life. You can just suck on your pablum, drink down your pablum. That's okay. No, he's like, nope, <laughs> you're going to grow. I'm going to give you a little break here, but we're going to get back at this in a couple minutes. And we're going to work on maturing. But ultimately, in the end, our Lord Jesus Christ is going to finish what he started here. And he is going to present us before the Father, blameless in holiness. Um. Grace Bible Church in Titusville, where Kevin Jeffries, we've had him here for a speaker. They have an evening school program that they run at their church on Monday nights, I think. And <clears throat> I usually listen to their videos Tuesday afternoon um, because while they're doing it, when they do it there, I, I just don't always think to get on. I have a couple of times, but usually not uh, when it's live. And uh, Kevin has been talking about believers maturing. We've talked about this before, too. too. But one of the things that Kevin uh, has really been bringing out, and it's really made me come back and think about kind of, and I think this is one of the things that precipitated my little issue that I had, was this, this thing that sometimes it's easy to equate maturity with what you know. You learned a bunch of stuff. And the measure of maturity is not what you know, it's whether you use what you know, whether you've learned to use what you know. That's really the mark of maturity, that you know how to do those things. Let me use this stupid illustration. When I have to take a nut or a bolt off of something, I sometimes have to go through three or four wrenches to find the one that fits. Don't you love those guys that they look at a nut and go, oh, that's a three-eighths. <laughs> what? The three-eighths. <laughs> just reach. Look at that. They, will, they, they just they look at that thing and they can tell you what it is. They can tell, then they'll put on, it's not three-eighths, oh, it's metric. Then they'll go, oh, it's metric. And so if it's metric, then they'll rattle off the metric one. They'll, but they just maybe missed that it's a metric by looking at it. That's, see, that's mature because that's, they've done this a lot. And they know, they just look at that, and it's this. Spiritual maturity is similar where you're learning to not just, oh, these are the facts, but you actually know what to reach for from the Word of God in God's truth, how God wants you to depend on Him, and you know how to put that, shall we say, that spiritual wrench to the, the nut of the problem and actually address it and deal with it. And are people facing challenges right now in our Christian life? Yeah. Are people facing challenges because we have health problems and other issues going on? Yeah. But those are all opportunities for us to grow. And not, keep in mind now, this is, this is something for all of us to think. You go, 
I'm not going through any health problems right now. Terry has been healing up, and Gary is going through health problems, and Aram has a wee health problem, you know, with a wee thing like that. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's going back there. He wants to make sure we're emphasizing wee. Okay. And we so that's them. But you know what? That actually involves all of us, doesn't it? Because if they're part of the body, we share in that together. And so part of that maturing process isn't just you, isn't just them. It's about how you are going to be engaged and involved. And it's really easy sometimes for us to go, well, I'm glad it's not me. Put my feet up on my footstool, watch my TV show, burn my time behind a stupid TV, or maybe even just reading a stupid book, whatever it might be. We can think that even when people, when it's not us going through that particular problem, that does not mean it is not an opportunity for us to grow with them. Maybe God wants us to grow by us being engaged. You ever stop to think about that? And that sometimes is difficult for us to say that God actually wants us to be engaged. There is a thing called spiritual laziness, which is an attack from Satan. And it's real easy for us to go, I don't have to deal with that because it's not my problem. That's a thing of spiritual laziness, and it's a lie. And it's a pride thing, too. I don't have to deal with that. But you do. Father, we're thankful for the time you've given us together. We're thankful for the fact people can bring up issues that we need to be reminded of. You want us to mature. You have made possible for us to mature. When we have problems, we can come to you and ask you for wisdom on how to put those things together. That you measure us so that when we're going through a problem, we can know, according to your word, you have measured us and that you know that we're able to rely on you in that. We've grown enough to rely on you in that problem. We wouldn't be facing it if that were not the case. And all of that is so that not just us as individuals, but us as a whole body of Christ, not just this church here, but the whole body of Christ, in the end, will be before you by the work of your son, by the, your work, by the work of the Spirit, holy and without blame. And we look forward to that day. And again, we remember those, some that we haven't mentioned today, but those that are dealing with various challenges, whether they're health problems or otherwise, that they might, as believers, be learning to rely on you more and just to find your mercy and your grace uh, in their situation. And that you'd help those of us that aren't facing those challenges to be used in their life, to allow you to use us in the way you desire. And we would thank you for that also. Amen.